where we take a critical look at the movies your kids are watching without your supervision. Today, we are going to talk about the 1946 film, It's a Wonderful Life. My name is Sarah. I'm the mom of a seven-year-old boy at this point, maybe right around this time. His birthday is like maybe tomorrow or something when we release this. (laughs) (laughs) And I am Briar Harvey. I am the mom of an adult and a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old who, again, much too early for holiday movies as we are doing these recordings. Yes. But... Yeah, I didn't even try to get my kid. I'd rather... So this is a movie that I don't want him to have any kind of, like, bad association with. So I am not even going to get him to try to watch this movie until, like, maybe he actually wants to watch it because... It means too much to me. <laughs> and I, I agree. And I want it to be like, I want it to be something that they come to and go, oh, what is it that you're yeah. watching? Not, right, I must exactly. be tortured by this film. Oh no, you're making me watch a black and white movie. So that is but absolutely like, the first question that must be asked and answered here. Color or black and white? I've only ever watched it in black okay. and white. I've never seen the colored version. So this is... Did you watch it in color or black Oh, and white? so this is this is a big, big thing in terms of this movie and this story. Because it was post... Yeah, it was recorded after, or recolored after It was that, recolored right? and there was a big lawsuit about it. And mm-hmm. yes, I, I, I have scandalous okay. details. Because this but, has a history that's really yes. interesting. <laughs> but because it has history, I had to at least once watch it in color. It's not that great. I much no. prefer to watch it in black and white. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is kind of like outside of our normal what we would cover for this movie or for this podcast but we both decided that we really wanted to talk about this movie there's nothing about this movie i would say that like a kid couldn't watch maybe except for like under like explaining why things might be different because it was a different time almost jesus christ 80 years ago now Um, so if you think your kid could like handle it go for it but like i said we both agreed that like we're going to let our kids come to this movie naturally um do you know do you know when you first saw this movie um so my grandma apparently sort of knew jimmy stewart which was a big family legend thing (laughs) for obvious reasons sure and therefore I just grew up watching this movie at Christmas time, and I, like, I remember it being on all of the time at the holidays. Yes. Again, I don't ever remember being forced to sit down and you must watch this film, and therefore, Mm -hmm. I really do feel I have very positive associations about Mm -hmm. it. Like, it was just on at Christmas, and if there wasn't football on... It was this or um, a Christmas story. Is is that a Christmas story? No. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas God, Vacation. God no. Um, <laughs> what else is on all the time at Christmas? The one Fifty Fourth Avenue. What the hell? Oh, Miracle on Fifty. Miracle on Fifty First, Fifty Fourth Avenue. I don't know. Something. I don't know something. <laughs> 
I could look it up. I'm too lazy. 34th. We were, we were like 34th. blocks <laughs> off. Whole, whole subway routes off. Jesus. Okay. So for me, I spent a lot of time with my grandma um, as a kid. And so things like big band music and black and white movies with Jimmy Stewart were just kind of what we yes. did. So there was no like, oh, look at me. I'm watching old movies. It was like, this is just what people do. This is, this is just <laughs> what we do. So my, yeah. my mom's parents had a farm and I spent a significant portion of my early mm-hmm. childhood on the farm. And yes, it was Glenn Miller and Big Band mm-hmm. and this is just what we did. So yeah, I think we yeah. have you and I have a similar appreciation for old classical films yes. that most people just haven't even watched or heard of anymore. Have you ever had to convince somebody to watch this movie? I have really Cuz it had so many people have such a bad Yeah impression of this movie. I think a lot of people who have a bad impression of the movie have never watched it. No, I don't actually think that they have, because when you do watch this movie, it's so good. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's long. I mean, it is two hours and ten minutes, which by today's (laughs) moviegoer's standard is a tad long. You may have... It's like a Marvel Exactly. I was just about to say, it's like the length of a Thanos snap here. So, so you got to put some effort in. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've always found this movie to just be worth that effort. Me too. Yeah. Do you have a tradition around it at all? Um, very specifically, I watch this while I am doing a terrible job of wrapping presents. Now, let me be clear. I don't do most of the present wrapping. I think I've discussed this. (laughs) I am wrapping deficient. So my husband does most of the wrapping for the children and for the other peoples. But I have to, in fact, wrap his presents. So there, Mm -hmm. there is this small bit of wrapping that... I have to do, and yes, this is what I watch while I'm doing it. Usually, I'm we watch it. drinking something, and oh yeah, Christmas yeah. Eve, and yeah, we watch yeah. it on Christmas Eve. Yeah, um, after like it, you know, before kids, we would watch it after we got home from being at my in-laws' house, and post kid, we watch it after he goes uh-huh. to sleep because right now he has no interest in it, right? Um, but yes, always with a, an adult beverage, and every time. I just have to, my favorite line in the whole movie is when George goes to Martini's, but it's now Nick. Right. And <laughs> and Clarence orders uh, mold wine, <laughs> and Nick is, like, appalled. Just... And he says, we serve hard drinks in here for men who want to get drunk fast, and we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere. <laughs> is that clear? Or do I have to slip you my left for a convincer? This is my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> I love that Jimmy Stewart, while well, George Bailey drinks double bourbons. Right. <laughs> like it's such a like it's such a different time, right? If you if you if this movie never existed, but you this movie came out the exact same story today, there is no way the character of George Bailey would be a drinker. Am I right? He wouldn't drink in this no, movie. No, I don't think so. 
Like, and he talks about drinking and stuff even before he hits his rock bottom. Oh, yeah. Like, I think it was just so much a part of that time period. Everybody was drunk in the 1940s straight on through to the 60s. And I I always hearken y'all back to Mad Men. If you haven't seen, like, drinking culture, please go watch that show. Because, yeah, everybody's just got a drink and a cigarette in their hands all of the time. They did nothing else but drink and smoke. It's wild. (laughs) Wild, y'all. Yeah. So this movie is actually based on a short story. It's called The Greatest Gift, which is uh, not inspired, inspired by A Christmas Carol. Inspired by with bunny rabbit ears mm -hmm. by A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. So, and then talking on that line, you have seen how many remakes of A Christmas Carol, right? Like, Hallmark releases, like, at least 15 every Christmas season. Yes, but none of them of are as varieties. good as Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm holding fast to this. Okay. But, like, are there any remakes of this movie? No, although I did read that they're doing a table read for the Ed Asner Foundation later on oh, this year. because Ed Asner's in this, right? Oh. No, 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 it's not Ed Asner. I'm sorry. I'm confusing. No, I'm thinking of, um, it's not Ed Asner. It's uh, Lucille Ball's neighbor, whose name I had, but then I lost, is the guy whose tree he hits. I'm... George? No, not George. What? Uh, Ethel's husband. Fred Mertz. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, this could take a while. Yeah, Fred Mertz is the character's name but i'm like 99 percent sure that that's who the actor is playing that character it's his voice it sounds just like him the actor's name is william frawley not that i mean i wouldn't know that if you told me his name <laughs> i wouldn't know who he was i still can't find him in the cast list so you're doing I, way I would... better than i am I am, it's not listed on his filmography, but I am 99% sure it's him. Okay. I'm going to let you have it because the reality is, is that everyone we are talking about has been dead for quite some time (laughs) and nobody really cares at this point about our veracity. The joys of doing old film is that you get to be wrong and nobody cares. Nobody cares. Right. Okay. So... There's another reason why I have a really, like, strong connection to this movie. And it might not be super obvious to other people. But this movie is based in upstate New York. And when I say upstate New York, I don't mean Westchester County. I mean actual upstate New York. (laughs) Like, the part of the state that's, like, shaped like an L. Right. You know, the one that everybody forgets The other part of New York. The other part of New York State. Because a lot of the times when you hear of movies you know, set in upstate New York. They're talking about, like, people who commute into New York City, but it takes them two hours to get there. Meanwhile, I live in a part of New York State where I can get to um, Quebec or Toronto quicker than I can get to New York City. <laughs> so anyways, it's based up there. Um, Bedford Falls is a fictional town, but it's pretty well accepted that uh, um, it is meant to be a town called Seneca Falls, which is in New York. It's actually, like, really important for women's rights, too, Mm -hmm. Seneca Falls. But you can look into that on your own another day. The town that um, it's pretty well accepted 
is meant to be is Seneca Falls, which is like upstate New York. Um, but they mention Rochester, they mention Elmira, they mention a couple of other towns too. Oh, Buffalo, they definitely mention Buffalo. Um, and it has the feel of upstate New York a lot more than like a lot of other things. Um, the town of Seneca Falls looks just like Bedford Falls. Like it looks just like it has the bridge, it has everything. It's cute little Main Street. Um, they do, uh, I think it must be a 5k every year. It's an, it's a wonderful life 5k <laughs> and it's like festival. I think there's like a museum. I live like an hour from there. <laughs> Local history. So they have a hotel. It's called the Clarence Hotel. Um, but yeah, I just, this movie makes me feel very fondly of where I live. Those things are important. I, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, I should Google if there is a plastics factory in Rochester and a glass factory in Buffalo. Have you done that yet? No, because he he doesn't actually put the plastics factory in Rochester. He ends up putting it in Bedford Falls because Jimmy or George tells him right, to put right. it in Bedford Falls. But so where is yeah. it really? <laughs> I don't know. Is there a plastics factory in Seneca Falls? I don't know. Maybe. Someday. These are the things that come up. But what that brings up for me is how it's always the same, like, conversations and stories around movies that we have seen dozens and dozens of times. Like, this is, I am quite certain, not the first time you've wondered about the plastics factory. No, every time. Every time. And I forget. Yeah, and then I forget. And, you know, and then I come back to it the next year when I watch it. I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, is that a thing? I don't know. Is that a thing, Sarah? Tell me, is that a thing? It, I don't know. Well, I was going back to you saying that nobody was still alive from this movie. Oh, are you trying um, to prove me wrong and... on that? No, no, I'm not trying to prove you lo- wrong. Uh, but Zuzu is still alive, the actress oh. who plays Zuzu. And the only reason I know that is because she always makes appearances. Um, we all, also nearby, there's like a, a huge connection to with the Wizard of Oz. So not only do we get like It's a Wonderful Life like festival in Seneca Falls, we also get like a huge Oz fest in <laughs> very nearby as well. And so like all the surviving munchkins come around. <laughs> There are some. There's more than one surviving, surviving munchkins. munchkins. Yeah. So we get Zuzu for It's a Wonderful Life, and then we get surviving munchkins for the Oz Festival. And this <laughs> is apparently what it means to live in upstate New York, well, y'all. This the, and so snow. The thing you have to the thing you have to remember about upstate New York is, um, I don't know when it finally started, like, declining, but for a very long time, this whole area was kind of, like, a pretty important part of the country for manufacturing because of the connection to the Great Lakes and uh, the Erie Canal. Right. It's like, and then we became the Rust Belt. But you're going to find a lot of, like, connections to the area because at the time, what was your population of the country? Where were they located? And it was, like, here. Here I sit, still in flyover country. <laughs> Always in flyover country. 
it's a lot of the reason why we have like a complex about things up here too. <laughs> we used to be important. <laughs> Don't forget about us. We're kind of like George Bailey. Kind of. So <laughs> none of the good would have happened without us. Oh, okay. But we didn't get to get to the point that we wanted to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> All right. So this movie was directed by Frank Capra. It was released by RKO Radio Pictures. It had an original budget of $3.18 million. And its box office returns were $3.3 million. So it bombed. So by all reasonable mm-hmm. accounts, this film was a flop. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It was not until it was in public domain Mm -hmm. and available for colorization. And this is Mm -hmm. where this all comes in. So the colorization is a big deal because by copyright law at the time, and they have since walked this back, but by copyright law at the time, once you colorized it, it was a substantively different picture. So you owned it. So you owned it mm-hmm. and okay. didn't have to pay royalties mm-hmm. or any of... So that's why that's why it's such a big deal. When we're watching the black and white version, royalties are still going to estates, right? Because mm-hmm. copyright law is copyright law. And all of these actors, for the most part, have estates where royalties still go and then all of that money is dispersed to foundations and stuff. When you watch the colorized version, you are giving your money to, well, I guess it's Disney now because it used to be 20th Century Fox. Mm -hmm. So the story that I had always heard about why this used to be prolific on TV around the holidays was because it was basically a free movie for stations to play that's correct because the colorized version didn't cost them anything Mm -hmm. it was in the public domain and was therefore freely available but yet that's kind of that doesn't happen anymore like i don't it only gets played once a year now and it gets played in black and white so that those copyright laws were walked back and it's not that long ago. The, the, the ruling is called, it cracks me up every time, but it's the Sonny Bono copyright term extension act. Congress. What happened was, is that the Supreme Court had decreed that copyright expired on films, right? That was, that was the original Mm -hmm. ruling. And so Congress had to go back and extend the terms of U.S. copyrights. So that was the most recent, the Sonny Bono copyright, to Mm -hmm. include films like this one. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, when we were kids, all of this was 
free and fair use is what they called it. Mm-hmm. And y- okay. you could play it as l- without having to owe money to any of the original copyright holders. Okay. Which is why a lot of actors from the 60s and 70s actually ended up pretty destitute because there was a whole huge portion of their career where they weren't getting royalties from previous works. Mm-hmm. So, um, a good current modern day example of this to get very, very off the beaten path is uh, Nichelle Nichols, the woman who played Lieutenant Uhura, whose mm-hmm. personal estate is going through some real transitional upheaval, much like what is had been going on with Britney's in terms of needing who controls right it. who controls it and it's 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 a mess and there's not even a lot of money there the mm-hmm. the great irony is is that there's not even a lot of money there but so we fixed that apparently and now estates get money but the actors often didn't so that was free and fair use of copyright law in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun. All right. So, what else? What are the important things you want to talk about here? I do feel like it's worth mentioning. I mean, you and I could probably talk about Jimmy Stewart for the remainder of this episode without, like... Yeah, we could just we could just I mean, talk we could about just make Jimmy this Stewart. Podcast. Yeah, we could just make a Jimmy Stewart podcast. I, I, I'm fine with this, really. <laughs> I'd be okay with it. I'm in. Okay, let's do it. So, <laughs> but the relevant piece that I feel like, in terms of his acting ability, this movie was the first one that he filmed after returning home from World War II. Because back then. Even famous people served in the army during World War II. Oh, yeah. He dropped... Like, they all did. They all... all of them. He, he... Jimmy, in particular, is is a pretty good example of this because he enlisted in, I want to say, 41. And then um, as, a, as a pilot... And he attained the rank of colonel. And then he went to the National Guard where he served while still making movies until Mm -hmm. 1968 as a brigadier general. So, give it up for Mr. James Stewart. Brigadier General James Stewart. (laughs) Jimmy Stewart adjacent, he famously played Glenn Miller in Glenn Miller's Mm -hmm. uh, biography. Mm -hmm. And speaking of famous people who went off to war at that point, Glenn Miller famously disappeared while in war. Mm -hmm. Like, the United States lost a pretty prominent musician during World War II because famous people actually served. And they actually served, served. Like, 
They didn't just do PR stuff. They were actually in the war. <laughs> there are many arguments that could be potentially made about this one, but sometimes it's not all bad to actually love your country, is all I'm saying. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but I mentioned that very specifically because I feel like the trauma and energy of his wartime experience absolutely carried itself over to the character of George Bailey and oh, sure. yeah. what he did here, which is, I think, for me, on multiple reruns, what makes this movie so significant isn't, like... Because it's an old movie, and it's not, the cinematography is, you know, not the best. And it's, yeah, you know, right. 1946, and the acting is still a little stilted. And yet, there's this incredible story here mm -hmm. about a man in very real trauma. And right. that part is 80 years old and still universal, right? Right. And I think the thing that resonates with this movie isn't necessarily um, that, you know, the town loves him and, you know, proves it at the end. Uh, it's even with his happy ending, George Bailey still has not left Bedford Falls. Never. Never has he had the opportunity to. Right. He doesn't get a magical, like, now your life is amazing ending, right? He gets, like, a reasonable, like, you did the time, you were a great person, and these people appreciate you, and this is how they're paying you back. But it's the like, same life you were gonna jump off yeah. a bridge from. It, it doesn't right. change or get magically right. spectacular. I agree. Yeah, and I really, I, like, I think that... For me personally, I think that's why it resonates as like a, a film that makes me cry every time. <laughs> oh, every time. Like great big buckets of weeping, blubbering. <laughs> did you cry this time? I did. When did you, when, what makes you cry? Um, it's when George is begging for his life. That's, that's, okay. that's usually when it starts for me because yeah. there's real sincerity there. I feel right. Like I legitimately believe Jimmy Stewart as an actor in that yes. moment. Mm -hmm. We can, yeah. Keep on going with the Jimmy Stewart show though, because I'll tell you my <laughs> first actual memory of him in a movie was not this. It's, Rear Window, which is basically oh, okay. 90 minutes of Jimmy making facial expressions. and I love Rear Window. Because he's in a wheelchair the whole he's, time. But he's in a wheelchair the whole time. There is no action in that film. The, the suspense yeah. of that movie is entirely carried off by one man's facial expressions. It's fucking fantastic. And Grace Kelly. Well, yeah, I mean, that too. <laughs> So the part that makes me cry, at least this time, the part that made me cry was uh, when, uh, is it, I always get them confused, Bert's the cop and Ernie is the taxi driver? Mm -hmm. I think so. When Ernie starts reading the telegram from Sam Wainwright about how he's um, authorized his 
company to release up to $25,000 for him. I think because you're sitting in a moment where George's life is about to be ruined over $8,000 when he had more than ample opportunity to be in the same position as Sam Wainwright, who can, without even thinking about it, authorize $25,000, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And let's um, talk about the economics of this money of... (laughs) 80 years ago, because it's significant. So so the best point, I think, to make for the the economics of the situation is when Potter offers him him to sell his soul, um, he points out that he's making $40 a week. So George Bailey is making $40 a week, which is $2,080 a year. And Potter offers him $20,000 for three years. He offers him... (laughs) That's amazing, right? And then on the other side of that, Sam releases that plus Mm 5,000. Because, I mean, God, I really hate to turn It's a Wonderful Life into a class discussion, but I managed (laughs) to do that with most things anyway. So I guess we'll talk about it a little bit. But... For me, I really feel like that always emphasizes the the great class yes. divide, right? It mm-hmm. still does for me. Every time I watch it, $25,000 is a princely sum in 1946 time mm-hmm. in the same way that $2,080 a year is what most people are making a not comfortable see here we go Mm -hmm. because two thousand eighty dollars a year was possibly comfortable middle class right george bailey's family lived a comfortable life it does not appear as though they are suffering in any way Mm -hmm. it's yes they can't have like all the things like they can't go on extravagant trips and their house is mid um, construction. <laughs> right. But, but at the same time... They they have the money to make home repairs in 1946, right? Because right? we assume yeah. that it's... With movies of that time, we kind of assume that they're just in that time, generally right. speaking. Well, yeah, the present is that The present time. is that time. So it's 1946. They're able to make home repairs, there's plenty of food on the table, everyone is well-dressed, and again, by Hollywood standards, these are not even lower class. These are comfortably mm-hmm. middle class. So Because the lower class people are, are living in the Potter homes. Right, exactly. I mean, and that's how that's made clear to us. The Potter people are not making $2,000 mm-hmm. a year. They're eking by a bare existence. Ah, inflation. Because $25,000 a year doesn't even get you into Potterville these days, does it? Mm -hmm. But again, for me, what always comes home is the difference between the haves and the Mm have-nots. The people who can do the things and the people who are brought down by an $8,000 law. I mean, 
The reality of modern life is that most people are a $400, not even that much, $400 crisis away from financial catastrophe because mm -hmm. most Americans right. don't have savings. So, despite the fact that it was not really intended to be so, this movie is very significant to me when it comes to those questions about class and what we have and what we get to have. And I continue to have them with myself every year when I watch this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was intended, but it happens all the same. Right. Can we talk about some of the lighter stuff about this? Movie? Oh, let's do it. <laughs> um, so one thing that I thought always gets me is when George goes over to Mary's house to like tell her he loves mm -hmm. her and he's so angry that he loves her because he doesn't want to stay in Bedford Falls. And they're like, what she's, her mom is like snooping on them the whole time and then listening on the other line on the phone. And at one point, Mary yells up to her mom, he's making violent love to me, mother. I, it's so funny. It's so funny. I don't know. Like, even for that time, I thought that was just really it funny. Was because it's, I mean... Give credit where credit is due. Donna Reed was yeah. quite the comedian of her age. Yes. The and I just I love their their back and forth. Oh man, the timing George, is just impeccable. It's they're so good at just the way they play off of each other. You know, like obviously it's not improv, but. No, it, it was all natural. very scripted, but at the same time, this was so well done and so impeccably acted, and they're <laughs> so, just perfect. Do you think pools under gym floors were ever a thing? <laughs> I've always wondered. So I've I always feel like to see one in real life. I feel like we've had this conversation before in some <laughs> other context that I can't remember. Oh, really? <laughs> but no, like it—it it was. And it was a dumb thing. <laughs> but I think what they did, but I think the gym floors were like segmented. So if it warped, as I'm sure it inevitably did, because it was over right. fucking water, they could just, you know, huck a segment. Okay. I just. Okay. I, I don't. Space, I guess. Oh, so. The Beverly, oh, well, actually, this probably makes sense. Uh -huh. This is probably exactly where it was filmed. The Beverly Hills High had yeah. a pool under the gym. So that must be where it was filmed. That answers that question. There was at least one. There was at least one. You can see pictures of it. I don't think it exists anymore, but, like. No, I'm sure at some point in time we were smarter about, like, pools and water and wood and shit. I love how that... Because here's what I see happening, right? Is a basketball game and then somebody mm -hmm. puts a leg yeah. through the wood and... Well, there was at least like a... At least like three feet. Well, like... sure, but that's kind of irrelevant with the warping <laughs> and the warping and the... Did I mention the warping? Like... 
Water and wood are, I don't feel, even when well treated, the best combination. It's so funny. I just, I love that scene too, and they think everybody is cheering for how good they're dancing, and everybody's just waiting for them to fall in. Because we're just all on the verge of falling in. So let's talk about how terrible everybody's life is without George Bailey. Um, his mom is a widow who has a boarding, boarding house. house, which is hilarious-ish because when George is having dinner with his father before going to the dance, he calls it the Bailey Bailing boarding house, uh-huh. like the old Bailey boarding house, and then that's what it becomes. Um, uh, Ernie, the taxi driver's wife, left him with their kid. Uh, Violet is just a tramp, apparently, now. Like, a, for all intents and purposes, she is a, uh, what's the word we want to use here? <laughs> loose woman? I mean, she there's is a loose really woman, no good, yes. there, there's yeah. no good language for the stereotype <laughs> that we are given here yeah. in 1946. The pharmacist is in jail. Is an ex-con. <laughs> an ex-con who's now like... A drunkard. Um, Martini's not there. Nick is like a surly bartender. And Mary is a spinster librarian. I mean, they could have given... Did they give her a cat? I can't remember. No, but she has glasses. She does have glasses. (laughs) Apparently, George Bailey not being around ruined Mary's eyesight. I guess so. Ah, uh, 1946. It was such a different time. <laughs> and then I love how there's, like, everything on Main Street is seedy. And... Like, the, there's a sign for a striptease on <laughs> Main Street. You, it reminds me of, like, the Bruce Wayne Gotham City flashbacks of when his parents die, right? Mm-hmm. It's all that yeah. same kind of... Early seed. Yeah. So funny. Do you think that they had any idea at the time of what they were creating? No. Because there's... I feel like it would have been a different movie because there's so little reverence here, right? Mm -hmm. This was Mm -hmm. a fun little side story. It was mm-hmm. actually purchased by RKO for Cary Grant. He never. I can't see Cary Grant in this. Role. No, I'm. And was he's not like the humble everyman. No, and was not even considered for it once they gave it to Capra to direct. Mm-hmm. He more or less said, "Well, I'm pretty sure I have a guy for this because they had at that point in time worked together on." More than a few films. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just, I, I don't think, it was just supposed to be a one-off picture. Just like all of mm-hmm. the other one-off pictures that we did in those days. It reminds me of how many Nick Cage movies there are. <laughs> yes. 
This was just a mortgage payment for Bill, Jimmy Stewart. This was just a mortgage payment. And Donna payment Reed. For, for Stewart and Reed and Frank got a nice <laughs> cut and, and some residuals off of it. And then they all went on to do other things. <laughs> and at the time, because it was not a critical success... I don't think any of them really realized it either. It just right. got written off as, okay, well, that was a thing that we did. Mm -hmm. That was a thing that we did. So, do you want to know what the Rotten Tomato score is for this movie? I do. 94%. Not bad. Yeah. So, it's well regarded. <laughs> okay. Do you think there's a modern day Jimmy Stewart? You know, who comes to mind? That question isn't just about film. No. That question is also, I think, about personal character. It's Tom Hanks. I think he's the best it gets. Yeah. And no offense to Tom. Let me be clear. He is not Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> but he's just not Jimmy Stewart. But Tom Hanks could play George Bailey. Yes. In fact, Tom's really leaning towards the alone on an island, <laughs> cranky old man kind of guy So you these recently days. saw, what's that movie that just came out? I can't remember. The robot movie. I don't know. Did you see it? Mm-mm. Oh, because I thought you were—I thought you were making mention of that because <clears throat> well, I—I was, I, I was actually a cranky Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> yeah, but I—I I have not actually seen it yet. Just that—that's—that's that's the whole castaway mold that Tom has <laughs> decided he's interested in playing. So recently, there Tom came out with a list of his three favorite this was all over social media because you know this is what we talk about now is rehashed media <laughs> but his three favorite movies were uh jesus what is the hell what the hell is the name of the baseball movie a league of their own a league of their own was his favorite which doesn't actually shock me because that was Three months of playing baseball and also, talking shit. Also, I think shit. he probably had a blast playing, playing that character. It's obvious he had an amazing <laughs> time. Um, and number two was uh, Castaway, because it was on an island and he got to take his family, and so he was just hanging out with his family, and then in between talking to a to a volleyball so like it was fine that that seems like a fun movie to film <laughs> and third which is actually one of my favorites uh was cloud atlas just Ugh, i did not like cloud Atlas. see and a lot of people didn't <laughs> but and i also read the book and didn't like the book either i i i don't think i've ever gotten around to that book i want to though because i suspect the scope of it is even better in it is. Book form. It's also kind of nice to not be, like, bashed over the head with, like, these stories are connected. Right, right. <laughs> because they're all played by the same actor. But I got right. what they were trying to do there. Okay, so. Yeah. But what's your favorite Tom Hanks movie? What's my favorite Tom Hanks movie? 
I never even thought about it. I'm thinking. Okay. Okay, no, I have to look at his film. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, we're making the Jimmy Stewart comparison on this here, the Jimmy Stewart podcast. Well, what's your favorite Jimmy Stewart movie? Oh, unquestionably Rear Window. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> easy. That's an easy one. But Vertigo was right. really good, too. I just don't I like, like Vertigo, Vertigo because I don't like heights. I don't like Vertigo. Like, I... I... So Vertigo is maybe my least favorite Hitchcock movie, but even my least favorite Hitchcock movie is better than a lot of movies. Oh, unquestionably so. (laughs) Okay, let's see. I don't need to look. I I know my favorite Tom Hanks movie, but I'm going to let you look. Oh, I know what it is. What is it? I know what it is. The Burbs. Oh, that's a really good (laughs) choice. Yep. That's a good choice. Yeah, okay. Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> oh, okay. Same kind of time period. It, right? Same time period, same same energy, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Oh wait, what about is it, he's Money Pit too, isn't uh-huh. he? Oh, I love Money Pit. <laughs> when he gets stuck in the hole and he's trying to Okay, now it's a Tom Hanks podcast. Now it's that's fine. We can we can we can do that. All right, All right. let's go back to <clears throat> It's a Wonderful Life. Um, <laughs> do you think this is a movie where they use like the powdered potato snow? <laughs> yes, potato flake snow because it's black and white. You so can't see. What it looks like. And I'll be honest, that is probably the worst part of the colorization. The snow? Is that once oh, is the snow? Oh, they wouldn't have. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they don't colorize it, but it's still now that everything else is colorized, you can tell this is not <laughs> fucking snow. <laughs> um, the Bert and Ernie thing. So oh, Sesame Street creators swear up and down that it is just a coincidence that Bert and Ernie are called Bert and Ernie because like there's the rumor that they're named after these characters but I refuse to accept that and I'm going to continue to believe that they were named for these characters well and I think you're allowed specifically because there was a reference made in a special to this movie by Big Bird and frankly I trust Big Bird about the origination of their names more than I do just some (laughs) random humans working on Sesame Street that's all there is to it Big Bird got his shot argued with Ted Cruz for a while (laughs) like I trust Big Bird baby yeah um also, Bert and Ernie are C-3PO and R2-D2. Are they? They're there for the story, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, this was, this was a loss. This film was a loss. It was actually a half a million dollar hit for RKO that they had to write off. in our hearts. <laughs> it was in 1990 deemed a culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant film by the United States Library of Congress 
and was selected for preservation in the film registry. Mm -hmm. Because it's really hard to preserve film and Mm -hmm. there's only so much space. So they have to pick and choose what gets to be preserved. It was the black and white version, just for the record. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You got anything else? Um, Mr. Potter is true evil. So, Lionel Barrymore shows up in a couple of other places where I, as not a bad guy, but I will never not be able to see him as just Mr. Potter Potter and, yeah. Yeah. He is Drew Barrymore's grandfather, right? Uh, uncle, I think. Uncle, okay. But, like, must be great uncle. Yeah, something. something. The But the Barrymore family has been around the acting block at any rate. So yes. yes. So what are we doing in the new year? Well, we have to rate this first. I mean, I think it goes oh, right, without yeah. saying what it's we rate It's a Christmas it. rating. It's a five. It's obviously a five. But <laughs> do we even have to ask? I, we, we do. Have to say it out loud. We have to say it out loud. <laughs> or I'm going to hear about it from my executive assistant when she can't put it in the Notion spreadsheet what we rated this movie as. Like, with loud, absolute ire. And she's Scottish, so believe me when I tell you the ire is real. We're sorry. (laughs) Poor Heather. It's a five. It's a five. It's five, Heather. Okay. So, after this... We are going to go... We're taking a break, guys. We're going to take a break. Well, because we have we have things cooking in our secret lab. Many... Also, it's the holidays and we have families. But, yeah, there's that, too. we're still moms, right? We're still moms. I, I'm, once again, outsourcing the holidays this year <laughs> and could not be more pleased with myself. I am not. <laughs> But it's still also the my entire family's birthdays are in December. I know so. you always have this every year. Literally, and... when this episode airs, I will be tearing my hair out. I, I imagine this at this point in time. Well, that's why so we we're record the holidays so early, so <laughs> yes. you have lots of time to edit. But we're taking yes. January off. We're gonna go back to the vault. To the vault. We're going back to the vault. For a few episodes, we thought we'd bring back uh, the princess, the bride. princess bride, um, and the others to be determined. Something else. We'll give you something else, and then we have we're returning to the drudgery <laughs> <laughs> of the forgotten Disney classics. We still have a few more of those to churn out for y'all before we move on to a new series. Yeah, what's it going to be? I don't know. That's Any ideas? We'll we'll, we'll take solicitations. Yeah. Because we still have, I think, another two months of forgotten Disney classics to go through. Yeah. But... But there's and then we're done, then we're and done. we're never going through them again. We're never watching another male-led <clears throat> Disney movie. 
after this. <laughs> no, that's not true. We will. No, we will we'll have, have to, lot. I'm sure. But <laughs> let's be let's be very clear that that too is the message that I have taken away from forgotten <laughs> Disney classics that are all forgotten because they're all male heats. <laughs> the princes were not that for rememberable, apparently, until recently. They've actually given princes like a story lately. <laughs> But, yeah. But we'll get there. We'll get there. And then, fun stuff. So, if you have suggestions, you know where to find us. It's Facebook. It's Instagram. It's Latchkey Movies. You can email us, latchkeymovies at gmail.com. Or you can give us a call that phone number is 402-885-4875. And we are always perennially grateful. You can find us at ko-fi.com slash briar if you would like to tip us tacos. Because tacos, right? <laughs> All right, y'all. We will see you in the new year have an amazing rest of your 2021 just bring back in your memory the end of it's a wonderful life when everybody is singing old lang syne pretend we're playing that here but we're not going to (laughs) (laughs) see you next year every time a bell rings an angel gets its wings Bye. bye